This episode is brought to you by the Accountability Club. And listen up because we have a few changes we know you're going to like. Are you struggling to find time to work on your business and need some accountability? The Accountability Club is a space for weight-inclusive innovators to dedicate time each month to work on their business. In this space, you'll be in a supportive community with like-minded professionals completing those $1,000 tasks that keep falling to the back burner and are keeping you from leveling up in your business. Registration is now open for our first quarter of the year in 2024. That cohort you're going to want to join. It is January, February, and March. So come do the work with three monthly co-working sessions, get support with one monthly group business coaching session, and be in community with other business owners through our private Slack channel and weekly check-ins. And update, we are changing the Accountability Club membership to an inclusive tiered pricing structure. No gatekeeping of business education and support over here. Choose from one of the four options that works best for you and your business. Head on over to weightinclusiveinnovators.com slash accountability dash club to register today. We're in this together to make weight inclusive care more accessible and it starts with our businesses. Welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. My name's Hannah Turnbull. And I'm Morgan Sinclair. We're two non-diet dietitians, entrepreneurs, and Enneagram 7s here to talk shop about the business side of things. From managing a team of clinicians to building a cohesive brand to figuring out how the heck to pay yourself, we get deep down in it, talking about what it actually takes to start, run, and grow your weight inclusive business, the good and the messy. We know your degree didn't include any business classes, at least not any applicable to what you're doing now as an entrepreneur. This is why we're on a mission to bring business education to other weight inclusive clinicians. Say sayonara to all the hours spent on Google and hello to information that is actually relevant. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. Morgan here, and today I am going to be chatting with Angela Pryor, a therapist, yoga teacher, and owner of AP Counseling and Yoga in Dallas, Texas. Angela and I have worked together on a couple different projects. Uh, Mm -hmm. Our paths first crossed with branding and web design, and then you came and spoke at the conference that I host, co-host here in Houston through a nonprofit, Uh, and then we collaborated on some lessons for the Weight Inclusive Business Academy. So we've gotten to learn and grow and work together, Um, but today we're going to be chatting about preventing and managing burnout in the helping professions, aka all of us who Mm -hmm. listen to the podcast, who are business owners and have made it through a pandemic and are trying to figure out how to do this. And so I'm super excited to chat today. Angela Pryor is a licensed clinical social worker, supervisor, experienced registered yoga teacher and Yoga Alliance certified education provider. She is the owner of AP Counseling and Yoga, a collective of embodied therapists and yoga teachers. Angela has a specialty focus with high achievers who are perfectionists which means that she has spent a lot of time holding space for people who are burnt out. Her clinical work expertise is somatic and mindfulness therapies for the treatment of eating disorders, anxiety, and addictions. Angela, Mm -hmm. welcome to the Weight Inclusive Industries podcast. Hello. I'm really excited to be here. So excited to chat with you. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned in the intro, our paths have crossed many different ways. And so it's so fun. Just to add one more piece to that puzzle of getting to connect. Um, so for the listeners who don't know you, go mm-hmm. ahead and introduce yourself. 
Okay. Yeah. So I'm a clinician, social worker. I own a um, private practice in Dallas, Texas. I've been in private practice since 2016. Um, and before I went into private practice, I worked at treatment centers and hospital systems doing therapy, substance abuse work. And then the job I was in right before I went into private practice, I predominantly worked with um, medical per- personnel, medical professionals, um, who, I mean, just kind of across the board, they would be coming in for lots of different things, but there was always burnout. There was always compassion fatigue. There was always secondary trauma. So that was what I was doing right before I opened my practice. So, um, that was kind of where I really started to develop this, you know, I guess like passion or just really began to look at and feel like, oh, I am like we helpers and healers and all different facets. It doesn't really matter. Like the industry are like struggling, but we are needed. And, you know, I worked with a lot of doctors, a lot of nurses, a lot of people with really, you know, that are by their nature, um, high achievers. A lot of ambition, perfectionists. I worked with scientists, um, researchers, people that were very cerebral. And, you know, maybe the thing that was bringing them in was their disordered eating or their, um, you know, problem drinking. But as soon as we got into it, it's like, oh my gosh, there is so much burning out. There is so much compassion fatigue. Um, and I just kind of carried that into my private practice. And I today work with a lot of high achieving helpers. Like a very large part of my caseload are individuals coming from the medical profession or are also clinicians, therapists. Um, so that's like a big part of the work that I do. Uh, let's see. Oh, and then like the other piece of, I guess, the work that I do is I'm a yoga teacher. I bring the body into therapy. I just don't really know how to do it any other way. <laughs> that's the thing that I'm. And like, I forget that maybe not everybody has that same sort of like, like their brain doesn't quite work that way and look at therapy in that same way. Um, so then I will sometimes work to mention it, but no, like that is just how I operate. Um, and I feel like it's so important, especially when you're working with people that are maybe leaning towards that more cerebral space and, you know, eating disorders, Eating disorders are a disorder of disembodiment, right? So if we're going to be bringing the body into, like we have to bring the body into therapy, right? I mean, even just starting with the fact that the majority of everybody with an eating disorder is experiencing some degree of body dysmorphia. Like body is in the word. So um, that is a lot of how I practice clinically. And when I was moving into private practice, I knew like, that's what I wanted. One of the reasons I jumped into private practice when I did was I was feeling a little creatively stifled. I was feeling a little, um, oh, I mean, my own burnout. I was feeling burned out. And I just knew that I needed to have more control of my schedule and more control in how I worked. So that was from the very beginning, the vision for the practice. And since then, the practice has, has shaped and grown and has taken on so many different um I don't know, like images with the underlying theme always being embodiment, somatic work. And the fact that uh, me and the other clinicians, like we're all yoga teachers. We bring that to our clinical work. 
Um, and it's also a part of how we live. So yeah, that's, I guess me in a nutshell. I don't know. What do you think, Morgan? <laughs> no, I, I love that. And that was one of the, mm-hmm. the things that I think you and I kind of connected on when we first started our work together mm-hmm. too, was having similar journeys of working in more of a, um, higher level of care hospital mm-hmm. piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then moving into our own mm-hmm. thing and, and in that stage in those mm-hmm. different stages in that transition, I think is really when, um, burnout comes up the most, like mm-hmm. if it has an opportunity to present itself, mm-hmm. um, I've seen a lot in that transition. Mm-hmm. Um, I think life transition, but I also think too, like, well, we'll go ahead and, and yeah. I'm, I'm curious about that mm-hmm. because, I think burnout does look different at different stages. And I know mm-hmm. in the work that we've collaborated with, you've been very intentional about separating it of like burnout prevention and then mm-hmm. burnout management. And so can you speak a little to the yeah. difference of those? Yeah. So one of the reasons why whenever I am talking about burnout or compassion fatigue with somebody is our prevention models are going to look a little different than our burnout, like recovery models. And when we are experiencing burnout, like recovery, like we, we are experiencing burnout, we are actively in the trenches and the throes of it. We're trying to figure out, Oh my God, what am I going to do? Am I going to stay in this work? Am I going to leave this work? Am I quitting my job? Um, I'm, am I depressed? Am I off? Like what is happening? Right. And when we're in that realm, honestly, I, I have the tendency to lean out. Okay. You need to be kind of aggressive. Like, like you, what are our protocols need to look like? And I talk about it as a recovery because it can take time. It is not something that just because you go and switch a job is going to get better. And that's, I think sometimes can be, at least for me, was like the biggest, um, I don't know, like pitfall. I kind of found myself falling into. It's like, oh, I'm just gonna get a new job, and I, I'm gonna you know program seven. So like, I mean, it just kind of fits my personality. But um, it was never the answer. And when you're in that recovery space, not only are we like trying to do prevention for the future, but we just getting a new job didn't change the fact that your nervous system is incredibly dysregulated. Your nervous system is exhausted. Um, like one of the main definitions of burnout is that is a, it is a, um, a state of exhaustion and depletion. So just think about that. Think about like when you've, you know, been busting your ass on a big project and you have been working all nighters and you're so exhausted and the weekend comes and you just crash and you're trying to like fill up your sleep tank but maybe you can't fill up your sleep tank all the way and repeat. So like turn the dial up on that, like to a hundred. And that's where we're at when we're talking about burnout recovery. So we have to be kind of aggressive and not just like with what we're doing with work, but also like what set us up to be at risk for burnout in the first place. And when we're looking at burnout prevention, it's a lot of like, Hey, like what can we set yourself up so that, you know, one, if you do start to experience some burnout and compassion fatigue, which, you know, if you are a helper, if you are a clinician, it, it's going to happen. Like we can't just like prevent it entirely. So it's about how can we intervene and have enough supports in place that we don't have to be burnt crispy. 
that we can go, oh, I need to make some adjustments. And then we don't have to get so aggressive. We can make some small tweaks. And so prevention is really about building that support and that framework help carry you through. And burnout recovery is like, oh shit, the house is on fire. We we got to do something about that. So that's like, to me, like the biggest differences. And I think the, the mind, um, the state of mind is different for the two. Yeah. What are some common like signs, symptoms, mm-hmm. um, little things that we should go, oh, wait a sec. Like mm-hmm. maybe I'm going towards burnout mm-hmm. or maybe like I'm getting so close to rock bottom in my, in my mm-hmm. burnout recovery that yeah. I really need to start being aggressive. Like what yeah. some things that we can yeah. take. Note yeah. Of. So, you know, like some of the, like what I would consider to be and everybody, it's going to be a little bit different for all individuals. But sure. usually, uh, some of the um, trends I see are starting to feel a little, like, not excited about work, feeling a little cynical, maybe noticing that you're venting a lot. You're just, like, wanting to vent co-workers. You're coming home. You're wanting to vent to your family. You're wanting to vent to your friends. And you're sort of just always kind of like complaining a little bit um feeling really tired just kind of feeling like it's a it's it's like a, ugh, i gotta go to work today um and coming home i mean like i just don't want to i just want to sit here and watch the tv like i don't like please don't talk to me especially i feel like when you're a clinician because maybe you've spent all day actively listening and or talking um and problem solving that part of your brain can just feel really tired um getting behind on notes I think is kind of a big one. So I, I, we hear that all the time in the accountability club. Like that's just like the hardest one. So, oh God, because nobody likes it. I don't, I, okay, maybe somebody does. I don't like it. It's <laughs> hard. <laughs> it's my least favorite part of the job. <laughs> yeah. And yet we have to do it. Right. Right. Um, right. We have to do it. So, and it's important. But like, there's also pieces of, you know, like, I forget what the, like, I, majority of clinicians tend to lean hype, uh, to be more sensitive, you know, they're more of a sensitive person. And yeah. sometimes with charting and location, not only is it just extra work, but we're also kind of stepping into that space where it's like you're reliving the session again. So it's just extra exhausting, which is why we put it off. So imagine you're, you're just kind of being you know, weighed into that space of burnout and you kind of like stick your head up and you're like, oh crap, I'm like three months behind on notes, which is yeah not uncommon. That's something that I've heard pretty regularly from folks. And that's, yeah I would say like the more burnout you get, the the more behind on notes you are. Um, That checks out. I feel like there's yeah. just avoidance with it. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're avoiding it and you're depleting it and you just don't have energy. Um, so those would be some of like the very like kind of like right there on the front. Okay. All right. What's going on there? Um, I should honestly, for most people, be a little bit of a red flag. Like let's wave that. Yeah. Like, oh, what's happening? And then when we're in more of that burnout recovery phase where we are burnt out or maybe fried a little crispy, um, not only are we feeling cynical and we're venting, but we might also be experiencing anxiety symptoms. Our immune system might be suffering. We might be sick more often. Um, a lot of those like anxiety-based 
symptoms like GI upset, headaches, a lot of body tension, dread. Um, I worked one job where one of my coworkers, I remember she was like, yeah, like this job's not so bad. Like my last job, I cried every morning on my way to work. I was like, oh, burnt crispy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember attack. having that experience. Yeah. Yeah. too of like right right before I quit my full-time job I like had my little tracker of like how many days a week and how many times a day am I crying because of yeah. just feeling incapable of doing it like yes. doing the job so yes. yeah yeah um I was like oh I probably Go yeah on. sorry well I was gonna say and like in the like clinical setting like the more burnt out you are you're also gonna be at a higher risk of experiencing compassion fatigue and they are different. Mm -hmm. We have a tendency to talk about them like they're the same, but they actually are different experiences. And they do tend to like go hand in hand because one is setting you up to be at risk for the other. Um, so like clinically speaking, not only are you dreading and crying and don't want to go to work, but you might also be finding like that empathy tank. is just like empty and you're feeling yeah. irritable. It's bleeding into, and this is the biggest thing where when I say like you're burnt crispy, it's like it's bleeding into the rest of your life, right? Like now it's impacting your relationships at home, your friendships. You, or you might be socially isolating because you're so worn out and you just don't want to, please, I don't want to talk to anybody. You might have noticed like those executive functioning pieces kind of like kicking up, like laundry's piling up like everything you just sort of ha you have that experience where you just feel like my life is just a mess like everything is disorganized and feels chaotic yeah and that yeah. like oh, feeling that way because of what's going on with work which you know if we're talking about career burnout like not okay like man it sucks yeah that it, it sucks. It sucks. And it's, and I, and I love that you mentioned too, of like, just because you make a change to your setting. So like mm -hmm. in our case, as Enneagram 7, mm -hmm. so like to switch things up, but I imagine this is probably pretty similar with most people of like finding a new job. Like mm -hmm. I was expecting to have this like immediate relief. Yeah. And, and I did in some sense because the mm -hmm. stressor was removed. Right. Mm -hmm. But I still had so much stress in my body. It probably yeah. took me like a year to feel yeah. like I was really able to like regulate yeah. like a like a functioning human again. Yeah. Well, and the more the more burnt out you are, the longer your recovery process. Just like mm -hmm. anything else, right? Like the more like if yeah. you are experiencing like a really serious illness your recovery mm -hmm. period will be longer than if you had a cold. Yeah. Like, which bringing us back to like the prevention piece, mm -hmm. the more support and framework that we have built around us and the sooner we recognize the flags, like if we can recognize a yellow flag before we're at a red flag, like we don't have to get there. And I would say that at this point at where I am, I, I try really hard to notice those yellow flags. Because I can, I can course correct. I can sure. go, oh, what's happening? What's happening? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. If you are open to it, just because okay. I know this is, this is a journey that we've been on. I imagine this yeah. is a journey that you see a lot yeah. too. And obviously everyone's mm -hmm. stages of entrepreneurship look mm -hmm. so different. But mm -hmm. the pattern that I tend to see is like younger newish clinician goes into mm -hmm. clinical higher level of care mm -hmm. 
And there is, I think, some burnout and compassion fatigue mm-hmm. with that related to just number of caseloads you have to see, yeah. intensity of care at a higher level of care. Yeah. And then again, not everyone, but I tend to see people start taking some clients on the side to eventually yeah. like build themselves up to either open their own practice or take the leap into a group practice. And there's so much intensity there of working mm-hmm. a full-time job plus more on the side. Mm-hmm. And then you eventually take the leap mm-hmm. and then you're like, oh shit, like I have to support myself yeah, financially. And so <laughs> while you're recovering from burnout and so like you're, you're wanting to take mm-hmm. a step back, but you're needing to work. And so if we could kind of look at like each mm-hmm. of those three stages separately, yeah. starting yeah. with the first one, can we kind of walk through, well, I'm like kind of projecting about this because whenever yeah. I was oh, in that cool. middle stage, someone was like, oh, just like take a bubble bath. And I, if I, I got to the point where I'm like, if someone tells me to take a fucking bubble bath one more time, I'm going to lose my shit. It work? I like, no, it doesn't work. And I already take like daily bubble bath. Yeah. It's not helpful on top of that. And yeah. so I just, I think there's so much that we went through in the last yeah. I mean, several years, probably before that too, of just like, we're all in the helping profession. We know mm-hmm. our basic coping skills, right? Of like, Mm -hmm. self-care and Mm -hmm. all that but what are some strategies through these stages that are going to be really helpful for each of those stages Mm -hmm. knowing they look a little different yeah well one because we are in the helping profession our intentionality has to be way higher we have to be way more more to that yeah like our job our actual Mm -hmm. job is exhausting and depleting no matter how much we love it because it's putting a strain on our nervous system right because you're sitting in a space with somebody who's most likely dysregulated so then you are actively in the moment trying to regulate yourself without even like you might be intentional about it or you may just be like i'm just gonna try and like stay calm so that maybe they'll stay calm which is co-regulation right so you are constantly on the daily, multiple times a day, co-regulate, like you are working on co-regulation with your clients. Think about that. Mm. Okay. Nothing else has to be going on. That can be the only thing that's going to be wearing on your nervous system. Okay. Yeah. So right there, we have to add a layer of intentionality that maybe some other industries don't have that quite the same experience in that way. Right. So we have to come into this work. I mean, I think this is the number one thing that I wish somebody would have told me when I was in undergrad, um, which nobody told me, which was, uh, so I graduated from undergrad. This is going to be 15 years ago. (laughs) This year is when I graduated from undergrad. Okay. I remember we had a section in a book about self-care. Mm. And I think in grad school, we had a chapter. And I wish somebody would have said, you know, what's being modeled for you out here, which is like high burnout and like a lot of um, like martyring yourself and, you know, overwork, underpaid shit is not okay. It's not okay. That should not be the norm. In fact, I'm sorry that that's being modeled for you. And you need to be intentional. It's not going to just be with a bubble bath. Like 
from the beginning of your day to the end of your day, you are going to have to actively do some things to take care of yourself. And, and when I say take care of yourself, I mean all aspects of yourself, your emotional self, your mental self, your spiritual self, all aspects, because that is honestly like kind of part of doing this work. It just, it just is right. Get yourself a therapist, get yourself, uh, you know, a subscription to, a like a mindfulness yoga, whatever, like, schedule those massages do the body work go mm. on the walks look at your calendar start scheduling time off this is this mm. is where we run into issues when you're a new clinician in the field specifically yep. if you're working for um, agencies or you're working for hospitals and uh, you know i can expand this to probably anyone in the medical field um not mm. just therapists and dietitians but it's very broken because we are expected to fall into line. Like we are working a totally different type of job and our, and it's, it's, it's broken from all aspects, right? It's broken. It's probably starting with the payer source, right? Because the agencies and hospitals are like, well, we literally can't afford to pay you if we don't have you do X, Y, Z. Right. So like it's broken mm -hmm. from every way you shake it. So it's setting you up to like maybe not be able to do that intentionality. Like my first job out of grad school, I was working in the foster care system. I was working 80 hours a week. When you broke down how much I was making an hour to what I was working, I was making, I think $11 an hour with a master's degree. Wild. Not able to make my student loan payments. And I was in the parking lot of a Kmart <laughs> in the middle of Ohio on the phone with my student loan lender going, what can I do? Can I reconsolidate? And I'm going, you are not a candidate for reconsolidation. Um, and I said, well, I'm working like 80 hours a week. Like, I don't know what to do. And he goes, well, you might want to get a second job. Oh I was gosh. in the parking lot of a Kmart because I was in between home visits. Oh. So like, there's some very real systemic reasons why our field burns out at a high rate. And I'm not just going to sit here and shit on treatment centers and it's not, it's not necessarily their fault. Like they're working with them kind of like an already kind of broken system, but right. we need to have our eyes wide open going into this work. So it's like, okay, so like, if that's the case, what else am I going to do? And maybe, you know, getting the best experience versus being able to pay your rent. Like maybe you need to take the job where you're not as lit up about it, but you're going to be able to take the stressor off. Like I, I look honestly, like I don't think that we always think about these things. Like we're not really thinking about that return on investment and like what are our student loan ratio to, you know, like these pieces. Right. I know I wasn't when I was 23 years old. I wasn't. Oh yeah. So one, when you're a brand new clinician coming into the field, know right now, have your eyes wide open. You need to be intentional and you need to start thinking, okay, so I'm probably not going to make a lot of money. I'm not like, you know, quote unquote, independently licensed or whatever. I'm going to be paid. Like I'm not independently licensed. Oh, but wait, I'm also going to be, I'm also going to have to pay for supervision to get independently licensed, which I'm a supervisor. I get it. 
if I'm going to supervise somebody, that's hours of my day. I'm going to be charging. Sure. Once again, yeah. we're just kind of operating in kind of a messed up system. Um, yeah. And then thinking about, okay, like, is it like, where do I want to go? Like, what can I put a plan together? Um, and I think that there are other industries that do a little bit better job kind of preparing new grads to think about where they're trying to get to with their um, resume and each job that they take and um, each certification that they do. So I would say put together a plan. This is going to be part of your framework for your burnout prevention. And then, okay, what what do I need? How, like, a bubble bath isn't going to be enough after I've been sitting in a room with people day in and, like, hour after hour after hour, you must really horrific stuff so who's your support system get yourself a therapist who are like who are the people that are giving to you versus taking from you what other areas in your life during this season um do you need to increase and then decrease right because there's only so much energy and time during the day uh to go around um does this look like maybe you don't bust your ass to try and get your hours done in the quickest time period um does that look like you kind of drag that out a little bit so that you aren't like so burnt out um so i think it's about looking at what's going on with your schedule what's going on with your time because you have to make some time and set some boundaries so that you have the space to care for yourself which for me i think that caring for yourself needs to be really holistic so i think it's I think it's your own therapy. I think it's your own physical self-care. So maybe that's like, you know, like walking, running, yoga, like any kind of form of movement that you're doing, dancing, like having mm-hmm. a dance party in your living room is not like, it doesn't have to be anything yeah. intense or crazy, but how are you kind of moving out that energy? How are you getting enough sleep? I think usually when you're burnt out and you're working long hours and your nervous system is feeling really like dysregulated, sleep goes pretty quickly and you need sleep. Like sleep is a basic need. Um, and then eating, like, you know, we are eating disorder clinicians, eating disorder dietitians, And, you know, like if you're running around with your head chopped off, like maybe you're also getting a little chaotic with food. And, right. So like, are you yeah. getting all like and if you're working on the floor at a treatment center and there's no time to take a break, like there, like, there's some yep. very real reasons, right? And it's right. kind of similar to what sets our own clients up when they go back into like their workforce, you know, mm-hmm. to maybe struggle. So how are you taking care of yourself in that way? Are you getting all your basic needs met? And by the way, you know, pay your rent is a basic need because you need housing. Yeah. Um so does that mean you have to get a roommate? Does that mean you have to get another roommate? Does that mean like you have to move home with mom and dad for a little bit? Like what does that look like? And just allowing yourself to be really honest, like how things looked 20, 30 years ago, it's not how things look today. So that's the no. first thing. Second yeah. thing, you know that you want to go into private practice. You're in the process of building. Yeah. Once again, look at the intentionality. How are you building? Are you like, what are your goals? You know, mm-hmm. what are your goals? Um, for me, I knew that I wanted to build as quickly as possible. So that definitely led me to do a couple of different things with 
like my payer sources and how I was um, like getting clients and paying as I was trying to build quickly. Um, not everyone, that's not going to work for everybody. So you have to be mm-hmm. really intentional about how you're doing that. Um, you think part of that is yeah. like, there's just like a, and it's just, and I've, I've experienced it. I've heard it. It's also just knowing that like in that time period, I love this time period. This is like, this feeds my like chaotic soul mm-hmm. of working a full-time job, building something on the side. Mm-hmm. Like some of it, I think too, is just like accepting that it's going yeah. to be chaotic yeah. and like not trying to like white knuckle everything. Just like knowing that yeah. in order yeah, let- to get to the next stage, Radical it's just going to have to be a little messy. Radical acceptance that it's going to be messy and you're not going to do things perfectly. And maybe you don't have to do things perfectly. Yeah. You know, can you talk a little bit about like the boundary setting that has to come in this time period? Yeah. Um, Boundaries are going to be your best friend because Mm -hmm. you're trying to manage a lot. So I would say you're going to have to be really strict with how you and really intentional with how you're using your time. So how you're, you know, are you taking on extra projects at your full-time job? Why? That's not your goal. Don't. Um, to say no. Are you taking on extra, like, volunteer gigs? That's just part of our world, I feel like. <laughs> maybe don't. <laughs> maybe do that later. Um, what are you saying yes to in your personal life? Is it something that's going to feed you? Is it like emotionally, uh, energetically, or is it something that's going to be draining from you? Maybe don't like get really good at saying no, <laughs> honestly, um, get really good at saying no. And then also, okay. Like instead of thinking like, Oh, I I'm trying to build so quickly. Let me just fit in one extra client. Be realistic. How many clients can you actually serve in an evening? Um, how many clients can you serve on a Saturday? Um, and get your notes done. that's like that's where like in this when you're trying to like balance the 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 hustle like that's i think you have to do those things you know and i know i know what that's like it's like okay i'm just gonna say yes to every client that's coming my way also should you do that are there some clients maybe that you shouldn't be working with that are gonna maybe set you up to experience more compassion fatigue or more burnout and just like aren't fun. Like if you, if you have a full-time job and your bills are being paid, like maybe this is the time to start practicing getting picky. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I guess once you're in private practice and like you've left your job, um, like a panic, I think is kind of normal. I don't know. What do you think? Like, oh like, yeah, just like a panic. <laughs> yeah, well, because it's like it's like this, uh, it's like this never-ending cycle of like we probably experienced some burnout in the last stage, and we're now recovering from that. But there's mm-hmm. also the added stress of like we're not getting a biweekly paycheck. Like we're mm-hmm. having to figure out where that money is coming from. And so mm-hmm. I think this is a, a really interesting point too, where people can also fall into like, let me just say yes to everybody yeah. because they need enough clients in order to pay themselves. And so it's like mm-hmm. this like vicious 
cycle that there's not really a, a perfect solution for. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think it not, is more so. Because yeah. you're an entrepreneur. Right. That's something else to think about. You know, and I don't know when I first, when I first was going into private practice, I don't think I thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I think I was just thinking about the very next step, right? But actually, if you yeah. begin to shift around that mindset, that like, no, like I'm an entrepreneur. Like I'm like, whether you're in a solo practice or you're like jumping into a group, but like whatever, like if, if you are having to build a caseload and do marketing and getting caught, like you are an entrepreneur, you are running a business and it's hard. There's a lot of extra, there's extra risks that entrepreneurs assume. And I think sometimes by nature, therapists are not, but we can be a little bit more risk adverse. Like we don't, we don't, we're not like risky people, not always, but you know, this definitely can be like a personality trend. Um, is uncomfortable and then that's also where i think like you know knowing what level of risk you feel comfortable with so you know maybe that's where a group practice makes more sense for you than doing like a solo gig um totally not having to manage the business side of things like you yeah can just show up and, and, then quiet. Also, and, and then also like what yeah. practice makes sense for you right there's so many different models right. out there um so right. that's the other thing i would say like you know and this comes back to i think maybe hopefully some of that self-discovery work you were doing in the very beginning, you know, like getting to know yourself, what type of clinician are you? How do you want to work? What, what are the things that you enjoy? And you know what? I didn't always have answers to those questions. And you know, I, they, they change. That's the other piece. Mm -hmm. Depending on the season of your life, they will change. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was going to say because things are changing, um, that cognitive flexibility and that fluidity to be able to maybe like go with the flow a little bit. And I, I personally have found so much more um, joy in my work when I kind of release some of that hustle mentality and allowed myself to really just be present and in like enjoy what I'm doing and release some of the white knuckle. Like, yeah. you know, like when you release some of that, like it's kind of interesting how other things kind of shift here. Totally. One thing that I, um, I feel like it's so funny how technology works. I mm -hmm. feel like ever since you and I had talked a lot about burnout with like yeah. the Weight Inclusive Business Academy mm -hmm. lessons, um, I've been seeing it more and more on TikTok. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Naturally. Show that. Your algorithm and, knows you. Um, there's <laughs> My, it so knows me. Well, and I think it, it was so interesting too, because it was in a, it was in a place too, where I was like reminiscing on the freaking bubble mm -hmm. bath comment and so annoyed mm -hmm. by it. And two of the things that she, uh, this person had mentioned in a TikTok mm -hmm. of like recognizing things you can do before you hit burnout or if you're low mm -hmm. energy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm kind of like mixing this up to like, yeah someone who tracks their menstrual cycle in relation to yeah. entrepreneurship, yeah. luteal phase. So like, yeah. anyway, um, two of the things that she mentioned that I was like, oh, I do that already. So it was like really validating mm -hmm. that I'll share. One mm -hmm. is have like a work, like quote unquote uniform mm -hmm. of having, and I just posted about this on Instagram right before we talked because I knew we were going to mm -hmm. talk about pronoun stuff, but like black leggings and a black top and like sneaks, like tennis shoes mm -hmm. for me, just to, like throw on and go is like the mm -hmm. easiest thing it, re it removes decision fatigue from my day. Mm -hmm. So I don't, it's like one less decision that I have yeah. to make because I feel like 
that contributes to burnout for me Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, And the other thing is having like three easy meals that I cook like every night for myself. And like, granted, Mm -hmm. I'm talking to someone who like, I have no dependents. Um, and so I'm sure there's a factor that plays into that, but like some solid frozen Trader Joe's meals are like mm-hmm. a saving grace whenever I am like low energy burnout. Cause again, it's like one more thing oh. of like removing decision fatigue. Yeah. Oh yeah. So like, I mean, and I can speak to like, I have a toddler and I'm married and I have two dogs and my season of life is probably a little different than yours, but yeah. pieces of that I still are very applicable. Like. Like today, today is Thursday. Yes. Yes. Thursday. So today will be takeout day. Like every Thursday we order in because it's the last, I don't see clients on Fridays. Um, and for the most part now Fridays, which is literally a day off for me, which is so restorative and amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I, I also have my toddler at home with me. So it's also like exhausting in a different way, but I digress. Um, but yeah. Thursdays are my last day of like clinical work, my last day of like meetings. And, and generally I t- I try to do Thursdays are a little late on clinical work and it's a lot more like business stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm tired. I'm tired. So yeah. we order in and that is just like set. I, I don't have to think about it. There's no decision making. It just, it's, um, and it's great. Like, I, I never, I don't know, as an Enneagram 7, I generally like structure like that. And I don't, I have to be, you know, like you probably don't <laughs> love it, right? Uh, I, 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 like, so, I get it. Yeah, you want to leave a little room for some spontaneity. I'm sure other people on this are like, really? Like, I, I structure everything. I'm like, yeah, if only. <laughs> um, but that that piece of structure has felt so good to me. Um, yeah. And, and then, yeah, removing decision fatigue. I don't love to make big decisions when I feel tired, right? So know yes. that about yourself. Maybe that's your Monday work. Um, and as an Enneagram 7, batching work has always been a little hard for me. I like to mix up my day. Um I've tried it a couple of different ways, but like that was one thing that never, I think for some people batching your work and really scheduling out your work makes sense and you should do it as an Enneagram seven. If you are immediately revolting against that, then play around with what does that actually look like? And what does that mean? Right? So I schedule like bigger blocks of time in my middle of the day. So I see clients in the front half. I see clients on the back half in the middle of the day. That is like, whatever I need. And then if I'm going to be, yeah. And then I usually feel more creative on Mondays. So Mm -hmm. I don't like lock in on like, this is the work I'm doing on Mondays, but this is my creative work that I do on Mondays. And that, you know, like this is where I'm feeling my creativity and that just feels good. And it feels like, flow. um, my like, cause I have a group practice. We do group consult. Um, with like yoga teachers, because that tends to be like a lot of the creative flow work. Like we do that on Mondays. My mm-hmm. uh the therapist, we do it on Thursdays. And it just feels like a nice way to like kind of like wrap up any lingering things from the week and like move on. Um Yeah. And that was sort of intentional on my part. Some of it was scheduling, but a lot of it was just like an intentionality to it. Um 
Yeah. So, you know, learning that about yourself, figuring out what works best for you. And I can't stress this enough. What works best for you? Because what works best for everybody else isn't always what's going to work best for you. Um, I will say if you can set the days and the times that you're going to see clients, do it so that you're not plugging people in wherever you can, because that's a boundary, like a firmer boundary that you you need to set for yourself. One, sort of consistency will actually help you fill your caseload quicker. And two, then you always know where you have to be when you have to be there. Like I cannot flip from mom mode, mom brain, Angela, into like therapist, entrepreneur, like clinical brain. Well, at all. Yeah. Like at all. I don't like it. I don't, I only do that when I absolutely have to do that. So I'm actually more structured with my like time that I am working now as a mom than I ever was. And honestly, I feel so much better. And I'm like, I should have done this so much sooner. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Learning. I'm, I'm such a firm believer in that too. And I think, um, I really think it can help contribute to burnout management a little bit more too, because I'm the same way. Like I, I only do meetings with design clients on Tuesdays and Fridays because I know that I can show up fully present, energetic on Mm -hmm. those two days. Um, just because there's so much behind the scenes stuff that I have to do as well. And so it's, it's being able to separate that (laughs) out. The other thing, um, is making sure you have a hour block every single day for lunch. That would be my, my addition to that as well. Mine's at one, mine's 1 PM every single day. Um, it's on my calendar and it will never go away. And the reason mine's non-negotiable, the the reason why mine's at one versus 12 is with the beautiful benefit of telehealth. And I work with eating disorders. We do, I do a lot of 12 o'clock appointments now. Um, when people are on their own lunch break and one o'clock is always my time where it is just, I'm going to eat, you know, if I didn't, sometimes I do therapeutic meals, so I'm, I'm I'm eating at 12, but no matter what, one is lunch is my time. Computer is off. Yep. I have been really strict about that for a really long time, like a really long time. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to say about burnout before we move to some rapid fire questions? I feel like we covered a lot. So if not, that's fine too. Yeah. I mean, I guess honestly, like just compassion for yourself because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And I just hope that, you know, whether this podcast or the therapist that you're working with, or if you're not working with one, you're going to get one um, can help you at least mitigate some of the experiences that you might have with burnout. So you don't have to get burnt AF before you go and do something different. Um, and no job is perfect there. Right? I think high achievers are always looking for the perfect job. Um, no job is perfect. So you just have to find the one that's good enough. It's right oh, enough. I love that. Um, and just giving yourself all that compassion. And if you're an entrepreneur and every, every day you have a different emotion about it, I think that's also, yeah, like par for the course. You're an entrepreneur. Yeah. It's okay. That's okay. (laughs) Get yourself some entrepreneur friends and have people. 
and having people. Yes, that community is key for sure. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for bringing all of your knowledge and wisdom about burnout to the pod. I have Welcome. some rapid fire questions for you. So I just want you to say the first thing that comes to okay. mind. Okay. You ready? Uh-huh. Okay. If your business was an animal, what would it be? Elephant. Why? Uh, I don't know. I guess. Oh, I know. Because elephants, they are in community always. They are matriarchs. And they are like bringing that wisdom and feminine energy. Oh, that's so good. What is your favorite part of being an entrepreneur? Can you just try shit? What is your morning routine to get ready for the day? (laughs) Um, Toddler wakes up at six. I get up with toddler. Um, I have coffee with one eye open. Um, we put on a TV show and I sit there and I take a few deep breaths. Um, if toddler sleeps in, I do meditation and I do yoga. So mine depends. Um, and then I get ready and I go to the office. Um, once I get to the office, I usually light some Palo Santo. This is where I have my rituals. I get to the office. I turn on the lights. I go sit down. Um, I light some Palo Santo, which I keep on my desk. I kind of do a little like cleanse all around my office. I usually walk all like the whole, like not just my individual suite, but the whole place. Um, I do a little like cleanse of myself. And before I open my laptop, I take a few rounds of breath and I just kind of look out the window and I'm giving a beautiful oak tree outside our window now. And I just look at that and I go, okay, time for the day. Ah, love it. And then I write my to-do list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we get to work. Yep. If if you had $10,000 to spend on, on your business today, how would you spend it? I would invest. I would invest in some of my staff for a new creative project that I would love to get off the ground. But Ooh. a lot of work and it requires like a, a hiccup has been how do we fund it? So mm. That's what I would do. Gotcha. What is the hardest decision that you've had to make in your business? That one's easy. Um, 2020, when COVID happened, um, we, our, our yoga Part of our business was much larger. We had six teachers and we could no longer, you know, we, we moved virtual and we were doing the virtual thing, but obviously that impacted our flux of students and just like how our business was operating. And I kind of limped it along through that summer. And then in August of 2020, I just had to make the decision to just like hit pause. And I had to let all the teachers. Hmm. Yeah, that's tough. What is your least favorite task that you've happily outsourced? Uh, oh, um, well, back when I worked with insurance companies, getting a biller, number one, 
now that I don't, I still don't like to have to deal with like making sure like super bills are going out and all that kind of stuff. And I have it automated as much as I can, but, um, my admin does all that. Love it. And I love it. And she's so good at it. <laughs> <laughs> she keeps me very organized. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. And my last rapid fire question for you, what is the best thing that you've eaten in the last week? I haven't even eaten this week. I don't know. Oh, I know. I made like what I would consider like just like a cozy comfort meal. So I made like roasted chicken, mashed potatoes, super buttery mashed mm-hmm. potatoes with um, peas. And that was dinner for our Monday. And it was so cozy and so yummy. It made me happy. Oh, and it was really, and it was and yummy. Cool. It was pretty chilly here in Dallas on that day. So it just felt like just felt good. Oh, love it. Well, mm-hmm. thank you so much for joining us. We will finish with this. Where can folks find you? Where can mm-hmm. they connect with you? And how can they work with you? Yeah. So, um, website is AngelaPrior.com. Um, the, uh, my handle, I have two handles. I have AP counseling yoga on Instagram. I also have Angela Pryor LCSW. So one is a little more practice focused. One is a little bit me focused. Um, and then as far as working with me, well, one, if you know that you want to do all this burnout stuff, like we've got some modules on, you know, with Morgan and the business Academy. So I would check that out. Um, we've got both prevention and management for do two different stages of where you're at. Um, and then if you're wanting to do like more like kind of like case consultation and, some work with that. That's a service that I offer to providers. Um, so like bring all your notes, bring your questions, and we can just like dig into it so that you can leave with an action plan for a specific case. Primarily, you know, if you're wanting to blend and bring in some somatic work, as well as like yoga, and you're just feeling maybe like stuck with somebody and you're just like, hey, like, I don't really necessarily do that. Or remember, I just don't know how to do that. That's a great option. Um, and then if you need a therapist and you're in Texas, I'm your girl. <laughs> yes, I love it. And we'll be sure to link all of that in the show notes so people can find you easily. Thank you so much for spending some time with us, Angela. It was great chatting with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was lovely to be here. We're going to have a great day. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. If you like what you hear, subscribe to our podcast to add us to your queue every week. Please leave us a rating and review and share with a friend to help us reach more weight inclusive business owners who could use support and pep talks. And be sure to sign up for the Accountability Club if you're needing a little bit of extra accountability going into the new year. We'll see you next week.